millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's criminal case looks at a sordid event that occurred in Austria. The story broke in 2008 while the whole country was still outraged and shaken up by the infamous case of kidnapping and confinement of Natasha Kampusch, a young Austrian girl who had disappeared in 1998 when she was only 10 years old. She had been kidnapped on March 2, 1998 and was held in a secret basement by her abductor, Wolfgang Bricklopel, for more than eight years until her escape on August 23, 2006. The terror felt by Natasha Kampusch's case was still felt in Austria, where today's case took place. It was Saturday, April 19, 2008, at 40 Yipstrasse, at a house in a lovely residential neighborhood in the peaceful town of Amstetten, about 100 kilometers from Vienna, in Lower Austria. The story begins with a call to emergency service. Hello, my name is Joseph Ritzel. My little girl is sick. She's convulsing. She's unconscious. Please hurry. Send an ambulance to 40 Yipstrasse. My Kirsten is dying. Help me. Immediately, an emergency ambulance arrived at the location and transported the unconscious 19-year-old girl to the most weirdo state hospital in Amstetten. The young Kirsten was admitted to the intensive care unit for potentially fatal kidney failure. She was hanging between life and death and her condition continued to worsen especially since the doctors were unable to diagnose what was wrong with her. The only medical facts that they knew about Kirsten were that she had no teeth and that she had suffered from an abnormal vitamin D deficiency as if the young girl had never been exposed to sunlight. It was an unusual medical condition that was confusing to say the least. The mystery surrounding the young girl's illness prompted doctors to reach out to her grandfather who initiated her hospitalization to start asking questions about Kirsten's case. Mr. Fritzl, we want to help your little girl. She may die at any time, but we need more information about her family background or what might have brought her on this condition. Yes, I understand. I also want to give you all the help that you need to save my Kirsten. Except I don't know what to tell you. Have there been any genetic diseases in your family or in her father's? No, not as far as I know. Has Kirsten traveled abroad during the last few weeks? I have no idea. Replied the bewildered grandfather. I'm confused and I'm ashamed of what I'm about to tell you. My daughter Elizabeth is a terrible mother. She left us several years ago to live in a cult. And then she abandoned her four children on our doorstep. She left a note with her abandoned child asking her mother and me to take care of them and to raise them properly. Was that what happened with Kirsten? Yes, exactly. In fact, I wasn't aware of Kirsten's existence until this week when I found her unconscious in front of my house with a letter next to her. What did this letter say, Mr. Fritz? Asked the doctors, who grew more and more surprised. I thought it was addressed to you. Hold on, I have it on me. Unfortunately, I don't know any more than you do about my granddaughter. 
Joseph Britzel turned the bizarre letter addressed to the medical team in charge of Kristen's condition over to Dr. Albert Ryder, director of the intensive care unit of Amstetten Hospital. The letter, which unfortunately provided no clue about the young girl's symptoms, included the words, Help me, please. Kristen is very afraid of strangers. She has never set foot in a hospital. I've asked my father to help me because he's the only person that she knows. Not finding any explanations about Kristen's condition in her mother's message or her grandfather's statements, Dr. Albert Richard then turned to the police to file a charge of abuse through neglect against his patient. The Criminal Investigation Unit, headed by Commissioner Franz Polzer, took over the case and decided to look for the mother, Elizabeth Fritzel. The police began a thorough investigation by contacting schools, by searching through social security databases, and by checking civil registries, but found nothing. There was no trace of Elizabeth Fritzel or the sect to which she belonged to. She had, as the expression goes, vanished into thin air. As the investigation to find Elizabeth floundered, her daughter Kristen's condition continued to deteriorate and the need for doctors to gather additional information on her medical history and to understand the progression of her disease became increasingly urgent. Consequently, on April 21, Dr. Albert made an appeal to Elizabeth to ORF-TV, a major Austrian public television station. I'm asking Kristen's mother to contact us. We will exercise the utmost discretion with her. I'm convinced that she can help us to determine a diagnosis and to find a course of treatment. On Saturday, April 26, 2008, which was exactly one week after Kristen was admitted to the hospital, her mother turned up. She had it seen being moved by Dr. Albert's televised appeal to help her daughter. In fact, Elizabeth had left the sick and returned home to her family accompanied by a teenager and a six-year-old boy whom she introduced as her children, Stefan and Felix. His granddaughter entered into an artificially induced coma. Hold Josef Fritzl grew concerned. While he waited for news on her condition, he hastened Elizabeth to join her daughter Kirsten at her bedside in the hospital. During her visit, Elizabeth remained silent in the face of Dr. Albert's many questions about her daughter's medical condition. He then decided to contact the criminal investigation unit to tell them that Josef and Elizabeth were at the hospital. Quickly, the police arrived on the scene and arrested Elizabeth. She remained equally silent on the way to the police station. She maintained silence even during her brief arrest and interrogation, despite the constant questions from the investigators who repeatedly asked her, Where have you been all these years? Tell us about the sect that you were part of. Don't you want to answer? You're a mother, aren't you? At least tell us why you neglected your children. After urging her for several hours, Elizabeth finally spoke. I'll tell you everything, but I'm sure that you won't believe me, and even if you eventually do believe me, no one will be able to protect us, my children and me. The investigators assured her that they would believe whatever she told them. They also guaranteed that she would have nothing to fear and that they would take care of her and her children. Feeling safe, Elizabeth made a terrifying statement to the police. The interrogation lasted for two hours, during which Elizabeth, until then who had been portrayed as an unfit mother, recounted without sparing any of the details the horrible tale of how she had spent the last 24 years. She told the investigators that she had never been part of any cult, that she had never abandoned any of her children, and that they had merely been taken away from her. What was more disturbing was that she had never left her family home 
at 40 Epstrauss for the last 24 years and that this was the first time she had set foot outside. She told the investigators that her father had started abusing her in 1977 when she was only 11 years old. She also told them that she was held captive by her father, Josef Fritzl, who was also the father of her children. She was locked in the basement of the family home at 40 Epstress for the past 18 years. In fact, during her imprisonment, which lasted almost a quarter of a century, Elizabeth was physically assaulted, tortured, sexually abused, and raped several times by her own father. She also stated that she had given birth to seven children, including one who died shortly after he was born. Her seven children were the product of the incestuous relation into which she was forced to submit. As a result of Elizabeth's deposition, the next day on April 27, she was released while her father was taken into custody. That same day, the prosecutor's office ordered DNA paternity tests of the children, a search of the Fritzl home, and the police launched an investigation into the neighborhood. On April 29, the residence had already been searched and while the investigation was still in progress, the result of the DNA tests had returned. They confirmed that Joseph Fritzl was really the biological father of six children from his own daughter. The investigators confronted Joseph Fritzl with all the evidence that they had. But before getting into more details about the search and investigation, let's begin with the interrogation. In the light of all the evidence that the investigators had in hand, there was no way for Joseph Fritzl to deny any of the allegations made by his daughter Elizabeth. He confessed to everything. But before revealing his confession, be warned that what you are about to hear may send chills down your spine. Are you ready? Then let's go. Joseph Ritzel began his testimony by explaining that for the last 24 years, he had only been protecting his beloved daughter Elizabeth from herself and from the monstrous outside world. He stated that ever since she was a teenager, she started to act out. She used drugs, had multiple sexual partners, and was rebellious and became increasingly disobedient. But the event that drove Joseph took for a radical solution to his daughter's behavior happened in January 1983. At that time, Elizabeth was 17 years old, had just finished school, and had begun training to become a waitress when she ran away. It was only three weeks later when the police found her in Vienna, hiding out at the home of a friend that she had met during her training. As she was still a minor, she was sent back to her parents. When she returned to the family home, she continued her training which she completed in mid-May in 1984. Soon after that, she was offered a job a few kilometers from Amstetten in the town of Linz. But her father's fetish had already begun. He was only waiting for his daughter to reach the age of majority. On August 28, 1984, Joseph Fritzl coaxed his daughter, Elizabeth, then 18 years old, to go to the basement of their home. He claimed that he needed help in carrying a door. The young girl followed him with that question. Once they were in the basement and the massive door was adjusted to the frame and set on the steel rails, Fritzl restrained her, held a towel soaked in ether to her face until she lost consciousness, then shackled her and threw her into the room. That would be her prison cell for the next 24 years. The next day, August 29, 1984, Rosemary Fritzl, the mother, grew concerned about her daughter's disappearance and went to law enforcement to ask them to start a missing persons investigation. About a month after Elizabeth's disappearance, in order to remove any suspicion and to put an end to their missing person search initiated by the police, Fritzl gave the officers the first in a long series of letters that he had forced his daughter to write all throughout her captivity. 
in the first letter which was postmarked from Braunau, a town about 137 kilometers from Amstetten, Elizabeth wrote, Dear Mama and Papa, I'm writing to let you know that I'm okay. I just can't stand family life anymore, so I've decided to live with a friend for a while. I'm very happy and fulfilled where I'm right now. Please don't come looking for me, otherwise I will go far away. Very far. I might even leave Austria. I'm begging you please let me live my way. Sending you big hugs, your devoted Lizzie. This correspondence gave Fritzl exactly what he wanted. The file on his daughter's disappearance was dismissed and his wife no longer questioned him about it. He even tried to float the theory that Elizabeth had been recruited into a religious cult. Over the next 24 years, Fritzl visited Elizabeth in the hidden bedroom almost every day or at least three times a week. He brought her food as well as a variety of other supplies that he thought would be necessary for daily use. He also raped her several times and turned her into his sex slave. Subsequently, she gave birth to seven children under inhumane conditions, alone and without any medical assistance. The first delivery was on August 30, 1988, which was about two years after her imprisonment, and her eldest daughter, Kirsten, was born. She would live with her mother in the basement until the infamous Saturday, April 19, 2008, when she was hospitalized. On February 1, a little girl, Stefan, was born. She too remained in the basement until 2008. On August 29, 1992, Lisa was born. In early May 1993, when she was nine months old, she was taken away from her mother and left outside the family home in a cardboard box, which had been placed there by Elizabeth with a letter asking that someone take care of their child. Five days after the baby's discovery, social services took responsibility for feeding her. In late 1993, the Fritzels asked for custody of the girl. On July 1, 1994, custody of Lisa was awarded to her grandparents. The fourth child, Monica, was born on February 26. On December 16, Monica, then 10 months old, was also taken from her mother, who by the time had been held captive for close to nine years. She was found by Rosemary Fritzel in a carriage in front of the house. Half an hour later, she got a phone call asking her to take care of the child. The caller's voice sounded like Elizabeth's. Apparently, Fritzel had used the recording of his daughter's voice. Rosemary reported the incident to the police, expressing her surprise that Elizabeth knew their new unpublished telephone number. The couple also adopted Monica. In 1994, conditions grew too cramped for Elizabeth in her tiny cell with her two eldest children and her multiple pregnancies. She then begged her father to find a solution. Following her repeated request, Fritzl agreed to the expansion of her prison, which forced Elizabeth and her children to work for years digging through the ground with their bare hands. The prison then went from 35 to 55 square meters. On April 28, 1996, there was another birth and this one took an even greater toll on the weakened girl's body, which was once young but now belonged to a woman in her 30s and still in captivity. This time she gave birth to twins. One of the twin brothers died three days later in the arms of Joseph Fitzill, who immediately disposed of the baby's tiny corpse in an incinerator. The surviving twin, Alexander, was also taken from his mother and brought upstairs when he was 15 months old. He too was found under the same circumstances as his two sisters. On August 3, 1998, the Fritzels brought Alexander to a foster family. On December 16, 2002, the last child in the family was born. 
he was named Felix, and he remained in the basement with his mother and his two older sisters until the end of the ordeal in 2008. Fritzl stated that he kept Felix in the basement with Elizabeth because his wife was unable to take care of other children. During all those years, Joseph Fritzl kept his secrets well hidden. He led a completely ordinary life upstairs with his wife Rosemary, his other children and Elizabeth's brothers and sisters and his so-called three grandchildren. He had kept his secrets so well hidden that not even the social workers who visited the family regularly suspected a thing. Joseph Ritzel told the police that despite his daughter's appalling living conditions, she wanted to educate the children who lived with her. She taught them to read and write and often told them about the outside world that they had never seen. She also used the television set as a way of socializing and teaching her children. When police officers asked him about how he was able to keep his daughter and her children captive for so many years without them trying to escape even once, he explained that both in the basement as well as upstairs, the guiding principles were authority and discipline. He also did not hide the fact that he had turned out the lights or refused to feed them for several days as a reminder that he held the power of life or death over them. He also told the investigators that he had said to Elizabeth that the children living with her, Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix, that if they tried to escape, they would be gassed, and if they got too close to the basement door, then they would get an electric shock and die on the spot. In truth, these were idle threats that Fitzel had made up in order to frighten his victims. There wasn't even a gas supply in the basement. Thus, Joseph Fritzl was able to compartmentalize the two aspects of his personality and two separate lives under the same roof. Until April 19, 2008, when Elizabeth finally managed to convince her jailer father to drive their dying daughter, Kirsten, to the hospital. Following Joseph Fritzl's horrifying testimony, the law enforcement started a search of his house of horrors. But before that, let's return for a moment to learn the fate of the survivors. On April 29, 2008, after her escape, Elizabeth, her children and her mother Rosemary Fritzel, who was unaware of what her daughter had suffered, were taken into custody by the authorities. In fact, they were brought to a highly guarded and secured wing of the Amstead and Maurer Government Hospital so that they could get all the support, medical and psychotherapeutic help that they needed. On April 30, 2008, Residents of Amstead organized a prayer vigil for Kirsten, who remained in critical condition in the hospital. After more than a month, Kirsten was reunited with her family after walking from her artificially induced coma. The doctor said that she would recover completely. Now let's return to the search of the Fritzl home. The investigators were shocked upon entering the house at 40 Epsiris in Amstead, since at first glance the house, which was built in 1890, seemed rather ordinary. Its facade overlooked a peaceful street and the rear of the house was made up of a large adjacent wooded garden. However, getting to the basement was something else entirely. The banality of the upstairs gave way to absolute horror. That section of the house had been built more recently. It was only in 1978 that Fritzl applied for a construction permit for an extension with the basement to be used as a fallout shelter. That was not unusual for the area during the 1970s. In 1983, building inspectors visited the location and authenticated that the new extension had been built in accordance with the dimensions specified in the permit. At the time, the building inspectors were unaware of what secrets remained hidden. In fact, Fritzl had illegally enlarged the room in between 1981 and 1982. 
by digging deeper than permitted in order to make a basement that was much bigger and he had made sure to conceal the walls. In a way, he had built a secret basement prison in the cellar. In 1983, after being approved by the inspectors, he added more space to the secret basement by creating a passage to an already existing basement under an old part of the property that did not appear on any of the plans and that only he knew about. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That was how he was able to create the dungeon in which he had held his daughter Elizabeth captive for 24 years. During their search, police officers had to go through quite a maze in order to reach it. First, they had to go down the stairs to the legal basement, then walk through eight rooms, each of which were protected by a locker door, in order to get to the workroom. Thus far, this was still within the section that had been legally built in 1978 and inspected in 1983. But it was in this room which Joseph Ritzel used as a living space and workshop that the gateway to hell was hidden behind some shelves that could be moved with sliders. You may recall that this was the door that his daughter Elizabeth had put up 24 years earlier before finding herself captive behind the same damn door. The massive door was about 60 centimeters high and weighed about 300 kilograms. It was lined with steel and filled with concrete. Opening it required entering an electronic code via remote, then sliding the steel rails. Behind them, there was a hallway about 5 meters long at the end of which there was a final door that was secured by electronic locking devices. This led to Elizabeth's prison. It was a damp room of about 55 square meters without any source of natural light and it was even hard to breathe. It was divided into three smaller open rooms about 1.7 meters high linked by narrow passages. The smaller rooms were not all arranged on the same level. Each of them was on a slightly different level. They were all made of soundproof with rubber carpeting. The first unit had a storage area, a sink, a toilet, a corner shower, and a corner kitchen with a hot plate, and a washing machine and a refrigerator, a living space and a small dining table, and a TV stand with a VCR and a radio. The two other units served as bedrooms. There were about two beds in each. To enter his prison in which Elizabeth and her three children had been confined for almost quarter of a century, the investigators passed through five locked basements and about ten doors in total, all of which was located in a stifling environment with absolute silence and without even a ray of sunlight. It would be frightening to imagine what life must have been like for the poor girl in this monstrous dungeon. 
Even the director of the Criminal Investigation Unit, Franz Polzer, who was used to seeing dead bodies and the most horrific crime scenes, was haunted by this visit to the Fritzl basement. He had this to say about the experience. I had to go just once to see this dungeon for myself. After I visited it, I was glad to get out. The room was not much higher than about 1.7 meters and was anything but pleasant. The daily lives of the room's inhabitants and their toilets made things very damp. I imagine that given these deplorable imprisonment conditions, the last 24 years probably went by 10 times slower than what they did on the outside. Now that you've heard from Elizabeth, heard statements from Fritzl, and completed the search of his home, the only thing that remains is to review the testimonies that the officers of the Criminal Investigation Unit had gathered from neighbors and those closest to Fritzl to finally wrap up the investigation. This section will be fairly brief since hardly anyone really knew Joseph Fritzl. Not even his own wife or his other children, with the unfortunate exception of Elizabeth, who found out the hard way about the truly monstrous, merciless face that her father kept hidden. Nevertheless, the police managed to collect some testimony. The first was from Christina, her half-sister, who told investigators that she had noticed that Fritzl would go to the basement every morning at 9 a.m., claiming that he was designing plans for machines that he would sell to businesses. She also said that he often spent the night there and that he would not allow his wife or any of their children to enter his workshop even if it was just to bring him a cup of coffee. Then there was a testimony of a tenant from 40 Epstress. Fritzl rented him a room on the ground floor for 12 years. He testified that he had heard loud noises, moaning and strange rattling sounds coming from underground depths, but Fritzl had explained to them that they were coming from defective pipes or an old gas heating system. Then, on November 13, 2008, the investigators realized that they had all the information necessary to build a solid case, and so the Austrian authorities brought charges against Joseph Fritzl. He would be found guilty for the murder of the infant Michael who had died shortly after his birth. Subsequently, Fritzl was sentenced from 10 years to life in prison. He would also be tried on accusations of rape, incest, kidnapping, false imprisonment, and slavery charges, which carried a maximum penalty of 20 years. The date for the trial was set for March 16, 2009. But before getting into the trial, let's find out a bit more about who Joseph Fritzl was and how he came to be. Joseph Fritzl was born on April 9, 1935, in Amstetten. His parents were Joseph Fritzl Sr. and Maria Fritzl. His father abandoned him and his mother when Joseph Jr. was just four years old. He never saw his son from his departure to his death in combat in 1944 during the Second World War. His name appeared on a commemorative plaque in Amstetten. As a result, Joseph Fritzl grew up without a father figure. He was raised solely by his mother who worked hard as a maid to provide for herself and her son. However, he was sent to live with the Foster family for a few months in 1945 while his mother was serving a prison sentence in a concentration camp in Montausen after having assaulted a police officer. After completing his compulsory education, Fritzl began studying electrical engineering at St. Polton Technical High School. In 1956, when Joseph Fritzl was 21 years old and still a student, he married Rosemary, a 17-year-old cook. The couple gave birth to seven children, two sons and five daughters. Ulrich, the oldest, Rosemary Jr., Harald, Elizabeth, then Gabriel, Joseph Jr., and finally Doris, the youngest. 
Once he graduated, he landed his first job as an engineer at Volstop and AG, a part of an Austrian international company, based in Linz. From 1969 to 1971, he designed concrete pipe production machines for a construction materials company in Amstetten. Later, he became a technical equipment salesman, a job that allowed him to travel all over Austria. He retired at the age of 60 in 1995, yet still continued some business activities, including running a hostel on Lake Monsee with his wife. Fritzl was a man of his word who was authoritarian and a hard worker who seemed to have led a full and completely normal life. But his background was far from spotless. Although he had a demanding job, a family to manage, and businesses to run, he still found the time to get into trouble with the law. In 1967, Fritzl, 32 years old, married, and with an established reputation in business, broke into the home of a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was away. He raped her as he held a knife to her throat and threatened to kill her if she screamed. That same year, he was also suspected in an attempted rape case involving a 24-year-old woman. However, the court only found him guilty of gross indecency. Fritzl was then arrested and served 12 months of the 18 that he was sentenced. Then in the 1980s, he was suspected in case of a criminal arson, which ended with a dismissal. However, according to Austrian law, his criminal record could be erased after 15 years. Consequently, more than 25 years later, when he tried to adopt Elizabeth's children, social services were unaware of his criminal history. After considering Joseph Fritzl's brief biography, it is clear that he had prior offenses, but that he also had a rather ordinary life. For that reason, it is difficult to understand what motivated him to imprison, torture, assault, and rape his own daughter over the past 24 years. More would be revealed as the trial progressed. Finally, the day of the trial arrived. It was March 16, 2009, and the trial of Josef Fritzl opened almost a year after the discovery of his crimes. The trial was presided by Judge Andrea Hummer and was held in the district court of the town St. Paulton, the capital of the state, Lower Austria. It's important to note that this was a major media event in Austria and all over the world. Everyone wanted to see firsthand the face of the monster, Joseph Fritzl. But it was not a monster sitting on the witness stand, just an old man who had committed abominably monstrous acts. On the first day, Fritzl entered the courtroom hiding his face from the cameras behind a blue file folder. The excitement from reporters and spectators prompted the judge to ask them all to leave the courtroom, after which Fritzl lowered his file. From the outset, he pleaded guilty to all charges except for the death of infant Michael for aggravated assault for his threats to gas his captors. Nevertheless, he still tried to insist that from his perspective, his actions with his daughter were not rape, but in fact consensual. He went on to state, I always knew for the past 24 years that what I was doing wasn't right, that I thought to be crazy to do what I was doing, yet it became normal to lead a second life with a second family in the basement of my house. I'm not a beast. I took care of Elizabeth and the children in the basement. I often brought Lizzie flowers as well as books and toys for the children in the bunker. We were, with a few exceptions, a normal family. We had meals, watched TV together. Later that day, he explained, he decided to lock up Elizabeth because once she became a teenager, she became completely disobedient. That's why I had to do something. I had to create a place where I could take Elizabeth away by force if necessary, from the outside world. He went on to suggest that the emphasis placed on discipline during the Nazi era 
under which he grew up until he was 10, probably influenced his views on decency and good behavior. During the first day of the trial, the jurors watched 11 hours of Elizabeth's testimony recorded during an interview with police officers and psychologists in July 2008. In fact, in accordance with the agreement that she would never have to see her father again, Elizabeth Fritzl testified on video and was not obliged to take the witness stand during the trial. This testimony was so heartbreaking that several jurors could not stand to watch more than two hours. In addition to the video testimony, Harold, Elizabeth's older brother, also testified and stated that he had been physically assaulted by Joseph during his childhood. Joseph's wife, Rosemary, and Elizabeth's children, for their part, refused to testify. The second day of the trial was reserved exclusively for testimonies from psychiatric experts and investigators. What follows is their findings. Experts traced the source of Fritzl's perversion back to his relationship with his mother. The matriarch was a stern woman who had never shown any tenderness towards her son. She regularly beat and insulted him. This caused him a great feeling of humiliation to build up within him and a fear of his mother. Osef continued to be fearful even into adulthood because in 1959, after he had married and bought a house, his mother moved in with him and resumed her tyrannical role in the family home, humiliating him in front of his wife and children. It was only with her advancing age that she slowly started to lose her authority and their roles were reversed. His aging mother, who had been a fearful woman, eventually began to fear her son. Joseph Fritzl locked up his mother in the attic and barricaded her windows until her death in 1980, which was the year when Fritzl completely regained his power and decided to imprison his daughter. The forensic psychiatrist put forth the hypothesis that there was a perverse correlation between the fates of Fritzl's mother and that of his daughter Elizabeth. He concluded his expert testimony with the diagnosis and recommendations. He stated that Fritzl suffered from a sexual disorder along with a severe personality disorder which included borderline, schizotypal, and schizoid personalities. In other words, Fritzl had a rapt sense of self, strong emotional reactions, a tendency of a secretive and solitary lifestyle, detachment, paranoia, transient psychosis, and unconventional beliefs. This very serious mental diagnosis prompted the expert to recommend that Fritzl be placed under psychiatric care for the rest of his life. Then on March 18, 2009, the end of the trial grew near. During the third and final days of the speedy trial, and against all expectations, Elizabeth Fritzl took part in the trial, in disguise from the public gallery. Joseph Fritzl recognized her and decided to plead guilty to all charges. Christian Burkheiser, the attorney general, believed that Fritzl's premeditated plan to lock up his daughter wasn't to discipline her, but rather for his own satisfaction. In turn, she requested that he be permanently sent to an institution for the criminally insane. Rudolf Mayer, the lawyer for the defense, instructed the jury to be objective and not to let themselves be influenced by emotions and insisted that Fritzl was not a monster and that he could be tender and loving with his daughter and his captive children. On March 19, 2009, the eight jurors from the district of St. Paulton unanimously declared the accused guilty and sentenced him to life imprisonment, as well as a non-parole period of 15 years. That meant Fritzl would not be able to request parole until 2024, when he would be 89 years old. Following the announcement of his penalty, he stated, I accept the sentence and I will not appeal. Since Fritzl and the prosecutor accepted the sentence, it was immediately made final 
and Fritzl was sent to the Garson Abbey, a former monastery in Upper Austria that had been converted into a prison. At the end of March, a lawyer filed a complaint with the prosecutor's office against Fritzl's wife and eldest son to determine whether or not the two of them were aware of Jose Fritzl's crimes. However, the case was dismissed. But now, let's turn our attention back to the victims of this merciless monster. After having been taken into custody, Elizabeth, her six surviving children, and her mother were sent to a local clinic where they were protected from the outside world and received medical attention and psychological treatment. Members of Ritzel family were offered new identities. Bertolt Kiplinger, the director of the clinic where Elizabeth and her children received first aid, declared that Elizabeth and their three children held in the basement needed additional therapy to help them adapt to the light after spending years living in the shadows. They also need treatment to deal with all the additional space that they had now had to move around in. In May 2008, a handmade poster was drawn by Elizabeth. Her children and her mother at the therapy center was displayed in downtown Amstretten. The poster had a message addressed to the local population that said, We, the whole family, would like to thank you all for your sympathy for our situation. Your compassion has helped us overcome these difficult times and it proved to us that there are still good and honest people who really care about us. We hope that soon we will be able to find our way back to normal life. In late 2008, it was discovered that Elizabeth and her children were more traumatized than initially believed. During her captivity, Kirsten tore out her hair in clumps and had ripped her dress to shreds before stuffing them down the toilet. Stefan could not walk properly due to her height of only 1.73 meters because she was forced to permanently stoop down in the basement, which was only 1.6 meters high. It was also revealed that normal, everyday events like the sunrise or sunset, the sound of the rain beating down, the howling of wind, or the slamming of doors would send Kirsten and Stefan into panic attacks. Elizabeth's three other children who were raised by the Fritzels were also treated for their own anger issues. In 2009, after spending some time adapting to their surroundings that were made available to them in the psychiatric clinic, Elizabeth and her six children were transferred to an undisclosed town in the north of Austria, where they lived in a house that resembled a fortress. All of the children are currently still in therapy. The children who were raised upstairs were traumatized when they found out that Joseph had lied to them about their mother who had allegedly abandoned them and that their brothers and sisters had been imprisoned in the basement. The children raised by Elizabeth in the basement received therapy due to their stunned normal development, lack of fresh air and sunshine while being held captive in the basement as well for the abuse that they had their mother suffered when Joseph came to visit them. In any case, all the children were at risk of suffering genetic problems that were common to children born of incestuous relationships. Also in 2009, Elizabeth decided to separate from her mother Rosemary. She was still upset as a result of her inaction during her education and because of her denial of the truth when she accepted Joseph's story about her disappearance and recruitment into a cult. Still, Elizabeth allowed her three children who grew up in the upper portion of the house to regularly visit their grandmother. Rosemary lived alone in a small apartment. In 2010, according to an article published in the British newspaper, The Independent, Elizabeth and her children have recovered remarkably well. According to the same article, Elizabeth spends her time shopping, showering frequently and driving. All her children developed a normal sibling relationships with each other and were able to overcome the traumatic events that they lived through.
The three children who were raised upstairs eventually came to accept Elizabeth as their mother. The three other children would go on to lead a life that was quite normal, engaged in outdoor activities, played video games, and spent their time with their mother and their grandmother. Despite their strained relationship, Elizabeth and her mother Rosemary had also started visiting each other more often, and Elizabeth forgave her mother for believing her father's story. In October 2012, Fritzl served his sentence in Stein Prison and requested a divorce. His wife had never answered any of his letters and never visited him in prison. Following the divorce, Rosemary lost her right to a portion of her ex-husband's retirement pension. On June 28, 2013, the basement in the House of the Horrors was condemned and sealed with concrete. For several years, the house at 40, Yepstress, was made available to asylum seekers while waiting for a buyer. In 2016, there was finally a taker and the new owner transformed the house into a kind of small apartment building with several units. In May 2017, Joseph Fritzl changed his name to Joseph Merhoff for fear of reprisals from other inmates. However, since his new name has been made public, the Austrian Press Council was of the opinion that Fritzl's private life had been compromised by revealing his new name and that his physical safety in prison had been put in danger. In the meantime, he has been required to transfer to another prison and to change his name yet again. Please come join us again for even more fascinating criminal cases at lacointocrime.com. But before that, I'd like you to leave you with one final chilling statement that Joseph Fritzl made from his prison cell. All you have to do is have a look at anyone else's basement and you'll probably find another Elizabeth and other hidden families. We're at the end of our show for today. So feel free to listen to the other shows on the podcast and take five seconds to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's really important to us. You can also subscribe to the next episodes and follow us on Facebook to suggest new ones. Thank you and see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.